Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a letter that has had us examining so many different issues, themes, topics, sometimes very theological, other times less theological, all the while, all of them very practical, right? Because like I've said before, when you engage theology in that more classic definition of faith-seeking understanding, we always do it with that one question in mind. What does this have to do with my personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And we could add another question. How does that impact my everyday life? If we are not asking those two questions, in the end, my friends, what we do in our theologizing and philosophizing and reading of sacred scripture is not going to be what it needs to be, right? If all we do here is leave our discussions and topics and reflections in the abstract, then how does that serve us to live the life we are called to live? So this is very important as we continue to embark upon our study. Uh, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We wrapped up chapter 10 uh, last week. So what I want to do is just jump into chapter 11. I am going to go ahead and read chapter 11, verses 2 to 16. Now, we will probably spend most of our time actually in verse 2, but nonetheless, we'll go ahead and read through verse 16. I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Any man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But any woman who prays or prophesies with her head unveiled dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. For if a woman will not veil herself, then she should cut off her hair. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her wear a veil. For a man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a woman ought to have a veil on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man of woman. For as woman was made for man, so man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you that for a man to wear long hair is degrading to him? But if a woman has long hair, it is her pride. For her hair is given to her for a covering. If anyone is disposed to be contentious, we recognize no other practice nor do the churches of God. So what is going on in these verses? I'll just kind of do a summary drawing from the Ignatius commentary here, and then we'll get back into verse two. The precise problem that Paul addresses in these verses 
is actually unclear. Some scholars are divided over the, the central issue, i.e., whether it concerns gender differences in general or marital relationships in particular. This is in part because the same Greek terms that mean man and woman can also mean husband and wife. Huh? On balance, Paul is more likely speaking about gender issues in general within the context of public worship. Again, this has all the context, this larger chapter and subsequent chapters on public worship. So it would seem that certain Corinthians have challenged the distinctions between the sexes by violating what we could say gender-appropriate dress codes in the liturgy. So this is very specific here, what Paul is addressing, at least on the surface. So Paul's guidelines imply that the order of redemption, where men and women are equal recipients of grace, does not obliterate the order of creation, whose gender differences are written into the fabric of nature, as Genesis 1.27 um, writes. So I want to go back to verse 2 and spend some time with what Paul says here and really use this to lead us, give impetus to a discussion on sacred tradition. So what do we read here in verse 2? I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. So the traditions, the beliefs and practices of Christianity stemming from who? Christ himself, my friends, huh? That being said, we have two modes of transmission, right? Sacred scripture, which is the inspired word of God put into writing, and sacred tradition, uh, those divine truths orally transmitted to the apostles under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We read in Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Uh, so in this mode of transmission, in this mode of sacred tradition, the Holy Spirit, like that of sacred scripture, appears as the guarantor of the active presence, of the active presence of the mystery of God in history. The Holy Spirit, my friends, is the one who ensures the actualization of the mystery of God through the centuries. Essentially, my friends, we could call the Holy Spirit the great protagonist of Christian history. And thanks to the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can rightfully say it will always be possible for not only our generation and the generations that preceded us, but also subsequent generations to experience the risen life of Jesus Christ, the, the life that we are celebrating now. Remember, we are still in the Easter season, these 50 days where we are mindful of the, the risen Lord, huh? So we experience the risen life of Christ today, just as the earliest believing communities had. And stay tuned here, because in the upcoming days, we will consider what this looks like in the liturgy. Now, we see in sacred scripture how Christ explicitly entrusted to the apostles the task of making disciples of all nations, huh? Guaranteeing his presence and help to the end of the age. He gives them the power of the Holy Spirit to witness to the revelation, the revelation which is the way, the truth, and the life in and through time, right? So we are made to see how sacred tradition, that is, as Paul speaks to it, the oral transmission of truth, is a divine intervention where God makes Christ present, the same to us today 
as he was 2,000 years ago. Now here, we ought to pull back and define tradition, lowercase t, in its more general sense. And to some extent, what we talk about now will only reinforce subject matter that we talked about in our podcast Oh, a couple Thursdays ago, April 13th, if you want to go back to the podcast dated April 13th there, um, we get into some of the stuff we're going to get into now. Nonetheless, very important, because what I talked about a couple Thursdays ago was the stuff of tradition. Tradition is that principle that links one generation to another within our own circles, the principle that allows us to remain with our parents, so to speak, huh? In this sense, we could say that tradition is conversation with the past. Conversation with the past. I've always kind of loved that particular phrase as it relates to, de- to tradition. Conversation with the past. Tradition, my friends, is memory. And as many of us can attest to, memory enriches experience, does it not? I mean, why do we have the traditions that we have during Advent, Christmas, and so on? Because memory is more than just matting a picture on the wall, but at its core, it is about our identity. Memory routes our identity. Without memory, we would effectively cease to be ourselves. I could no longer make a phone call to a loved one. I could no longer be able to make a quick run to the store, nor could I remember my sibling's birthday. I could no longer, my friends, be the father, husband, brother, son, uncle, and so on that God has called me to be without My memory. Memory is the soul of our relationships, and it guides us in our interpersonal communion with the larger family of God. It is no wonder why St. Augustine thought of memory as the chief faculty of the soul, because everything we touch, smell, see, and act upon is filtered through this, what Father Cantalamesa once called the great Franciscan, (laughs) the immense womb we call the memory. Here, I am reminded of an assignment I gave to my sixth grade students, an assignment that opened my eyes to the power of this conversing with the past. I was asked to teach on the topic of early man, and I thought a homework project allowing them to research their family histories would pique their interest. Um, Not only their interest into early man, but really interest into who they are. I I titled the, the assignment Remembering Our Ancestors, I recall. This particular assignment interested not only my students, but also their parents. And point of fact, when it came time to present their research, most students were accompanied by one of their parents, if not both, because of their fascination with their own lineage. You see, my friends, for each family, it was more than just another homework assignment. It was an opportunity to discover their roots. To this day, parents still come up to me and speak with great pride about the grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents, and so on, right? Why? Because by gaining an understanding of the legacy of their forefathers, they had been encouraged to make their own lives, what? Memorable. (laughs) Because in the end, to know our past is to enrich our present. And could we not say knowledge of our family trees certainly provides more reason to live a purpose-driven life in the present. So just a, a reflection of sorts to hopefully help us think more critically about the importance of memory. Now here we should uh, ask another question. As I just spoke to the importance of the Holy Spirit, does the Holy Spirit have a role in our memory? Well, 
What does Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 26? There we read, But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit will teach us all things and bring to us to God by way of what? Memory, memory. And certainly the church does this most profoundly in the liturgy. Why? Because the liturgy is the church's memory. I mean, think about it. The, the liturgy is the church's daily conversation with the past. It is where we converse with our spiritual family, not only remembering the life of Christ, certainly first and foremost, but also in the great solemnities and feast days of the liturgical year, we remember the saints who have gone before us, the apostles and saints like Augustine, Francis of Assisi, Dominic, Teresa of Avila, Ignatius of Loyola, and countless others. We remember because, my friends, it is what the church does best, especially, especially within the context of the liturgy, because the liturgy is the privileged locus of sacred tradition. We devote days to these figures and reflect on what made them so great because they inspire us right, to see greatness in our own lives. That being said, what more could be said of sacred tradition? Well, in a manner of speaking, that it comes before Scripture, right? Scriptures and the canon of the New Testament, as it comes to us at the end of the fourth century, did not start the church per se, but comes from what? From the church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, right? In other words, the Scriptures do not prelude the church, but rather proceed from the church. I mean, if you were to think about this critically, we wouldn't say that the Constitution comes before Americans, right? But that the Constitution proceeds from the people. The word itself, tradition, comes from the Latin tradire, which means what? Hand on. This is what we just read in 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, verse 2. And it's also what we read later in this first epistle to the church of Corinth in chapter 15, verse 3. There Paul says, I delivered to you what I also received. Now, if you were to take a closer look at what this word means in its historical sense, you would find that tradition was more than just a handing on per se, but a classical-based system of education that was inherent to the education of, well, in this case, Paul's time. You can grab a hold of this when you read some other verses from Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4, we read that Paul is exhorting Timothy to guard the rich trust with the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20 also uses the word entrust. The Greek here is paratheke, paratheke which, which means simply deposit. Once again, a careful consideration of history can prove to be helpful because the paratheke was meant for a valuable object to be placed in the trust with someone for safekeeping. Now, let us take a step back here. We are not talking about something, but someone, and that someone, of course, is the person of Jesus Christ. So how do you safekeep Jesus Christ? My dear friends, our faith is pedagogical. We are called to baptize and teach sacramentalize and catechize. Okay, so 
when Paul exhorts Timothy to guard the rich trust with the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us, he's calling Timothy to guard, which again here in the Greek means to teach, to hand on. Okay, this is how you guard. You guard something by sharing something. In this case, you guard someone by sharing what this someone had to say. And when it's Jesus Christ, very important. Now, lastly, in our reflection on verse 2, and then, we'll, and then we'll move on, we should say something about the magisterium and its role. The word magisterium simply means teacher. So the primary role of the magisterium is to serve and interpret the written and oral word of God under the guidance of the Pope and bishops as what? Teacher. We could say that the magisterium is the breath of tradition, aiding that continual conversation with the past, assuring the faith once delivered to the saints as it brings more treasures to the deposit of faith. So as the teaching faculty of sacred tradition, the magisterium has the primary vocation of simply, my friends, interpreting the Word of God, that the Word of God may be more coherent in that ongoing conversation with the past. So you have sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. All right, now with that, let us get back to these verses, these more specific verses. Let's read verse 3, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, if you were to look at this within its context, certainly Paul is using this term in his teaching on marriage to encourage husbands to be heads or leaders within the home as Christ is head over the church. Let us hit the pause button here and go to Ephesians 5, and I will go ahead and read verses 21 and following. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. As the church is subject to Christ, so let wives also be subject in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Even so, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And there's other important verses here, but we'll go ahead and stop there. Because I do want to highlight verse 23, because you can see a similar context from chapter 5, verses 21 and following, certainly with verse 23, and what Paul was talking about in his first letter to the church of Corinth, that Paul views marital headship through what? But the creation narratives of Genesis, where Adam was both the head and source of his wife Eve, just as Christ is the head and source of the church. Now, these are not a series of verses that are diminishing the role of the wife. I mean, pay close attention <laughs> to what Paul said in verse 25, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, 
having cleansed her by washing of water with the word. I mean, that is a dramatic vocation for every husband. Why? Because, well, what did Paul just say there? If you are a husband, you must lay your life down for your wife the same way Christ did for his church. In other words, lay down your life for your wife. And my dear friends, as the end of the letter to the Hebrews reminds us, we have an audience and they are cheering us on. And now I ask a question to all of you husbands out there. Are you laying down your life for your bride? <laughs> yes, our wives are called to be subject to us, but subject to us in what context? Subject to us within the context of sacrifice. You see, my friends, that is what gives marriage life. When husband and wife try to outdo each other in sacrificial offering, this is what holiness is about. Did you know that the very word marriage from the Hebrew means set apart? And what does holiness mean? But to be set apart. Brothers and sisters, marriage is about holiness. Marriage is about being set apart. Marriage is about laying down your life for your spouse. That is the first and primary vocation. You know, it's interesting. We go into our marriages thinking it's 50-50, and I get that 50 plus a 50 makes 100, right? The whole. Well, what if we went into our marriages thinking 100-100? What if we went into our marriages not always thinking about what my spouse needs to do for me, but what more I can do for my spouse, giving everything all the time? Because if Jesus teaches us anything on the cross, it is simply this. Enough is never enough until it gives everything. Many more marriages would survive trial and error if we thought about it this way, not allowing another person's weakness to dictate how we love, but allowing the cross to help us better understand how to love. And by that, I mean how to give everything. Huh? Something to think about for those of us who are married. All right, what else? Well, let us drop down to verse 10, because I've gotten a question here, verse 10. This is why a woman ought to have a veil on her head, because of the angels. So, a warning that gender confusion and proper attire at worship will offend the heavenly hosts. What is the underlying idea here? Well, A, that angels are ministers of the natural order, and B, that angels are present in the sacramental worship of the church. What about verse 16, that last verse I read? If anyone is disposed to be contentious, we recognize no other practice, nor do the churches of God, right? So Paul is saying here, you could be contentious, but that is your own slippery slope. The church bears witness to the way, the truth, and the life, okay? Not a way, a truth, and a life, but the way, the truth, and the life. You see, my friends, one of the things we need to be thinking about is that truth is never just reduced to what we think or what is arbitrary. No, truth is something that is outside of us, something to be discovered. And my friends, is there not a joy in discovery? We all love to discover new things. Well, in God, who is absolute truth, we can spend a lifetime discovering new things. 
And so when Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's inviting us into is a lifetime of discovery, a lifetime of joy. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm looking up at the clock and we are running out of time. If you have any questions about anything we have been talking about here on Seeds of Truth, not only this evening, but if there's been just that one question that has been hanging over you for quite some time now, just please do not hesitate to send me an email at jholljmj at yahoo.com, or as always, you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org. By the way, um, as many of you know, I do post book reviews and I try to put up a blog as often as I can on my website. If you wish to comment on that or strike up a, a dialogue or conversation with me, please don't hesitate to do that as well. I love to engage the faith with whoever, wherever, and whenever. <laughs> okay, with that, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening the gift to be able to reflect into the richness and beauty of your word. And we pray for the grace that what we do here on Seeds of Truth might impact how we engage one another in the light of faith and reason, in the light of how you call us to not only enter into you, but out from that love neighbor as we love ourselves, this great golden rule. We pray for the grace to internalize all that we talk about here most especially as we engage your living word. Amen. And we turn to our mother Mary as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.